What a thrill. My thumb instead of an onion. The top quite gone, except for a sort of a hinge of skin. yourself calm yourself and just listen to me no 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 you listen listen to me please <laughs> good night mommy I touched you, you dumb blur. That duck's crazy. You telling me? I was hoping that you could show Vanessa around the craft shop later. I can't. See, I'm on, I'm on restriction. What did you do this time? Mrs. Joyner said that I was touching Wanda Z all inappropriate. I keep calm, admiring your lover. 
Who'd you kill? Makes you think I killed somebody. Because they got you. Wearing one of them orange murder suits. I'm here for huffing paint. They put you in here for that? During the strip search, <laughs> they found this grandma tar in my cooch. You like tar. I keep calm, admiring your lover. I keep calm. I don't get how a person could go through their whole lives never being in the girls. I just, I love girls. You can keep them. God, hear Lucifer, beware, beware. Out of the ash I rise with my red hair, and I eat men like air. Hello, everyone! <laughs> <laughs> There's a noisy ghost in the room. <laughs> Welcome back to Noisy Ghost. We've had quite a hiatus, but I think that we are back with a vengeance. We just watched, um, by we, I mean me, Eleanor Russell, Andre Cullo, regular ghost host, and Eric Wenzel, another ghost host. And we're here with Alex Phillips, who was uh, recently, uh, not recently, actually, you were here for the Saturday Saturday Morning Cartoons episode a few months ago, and you're back again. Uh, As the fans refer to it, the Space Buttholes episode. Oh, yeah, Buttholes All the Way Down. And then I'm also here with a friend of mine, very special uh, ghost, uh, Sarah Barletta. Say hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. And also, once again, Luigi Way of the Terrier. Luigi Ghost Dog Way of the Terrier. Oh, yeah. And um, we are here to talk about the movie Don't Say a Word. <laughs> hey, I'm here. I already said you. Yeah, but you say me again. Andre Kello. <laughs> Andre Kello is back. <laughs> and we watched the movie Don't Double Say a Word, which was a 2001 feature film. Uh, it was released September 25th, 2001. Uh, it's a movie about New York City. It's a tumultuous time for that film to be released. And boy, does this film reveal that. Um, it stars Brittany Murphy, Michael Douglas, Famke Janssen. Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt. Sean Bean. Sean Bond. <laughs> Scene Bean. Um, who else Snake, is in it? Snake's in it. Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Esposito. Jennifer Esposito. She's my favorite. <laughs> I like Jennifer Esposito, too. Uh, a guy that looked like Tim Roth, but I think he might have gotten killed at the, in the opening sequence. Yeah. It stars, the, it stars the filter blue. Yes, which is a very important thing. But the reason that I wanted to watch this film with you guys is because I'm fascinated by a trend that I see in sort of in the 90s and in the aughts and up to now of the sort of white crazy lady thing that's represented in media and we have that with Brittany Murphy's of 
and we have that very prominently featured in this film. And I'd never actually seen this movie before, but I've been haunted by the trailer since I was a kid. Why is everyone smiling? Because I said haunted. What's that about? It's a, um, it's a ghost. ghost. Ah, I see what you did there. So I wanted to talk about sort of the sounds of craziness, the fem- uh, the femininity of mental illness, if we can talk about this movie at all in terms of mental illness and representation, considering that part of the main conceit of the movie is that Brittany Murphy's character actually is pretty much psychosomatic. She is not, in fact, mentally ill. Well, she has post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, she, yeah, well she's not psychosomatic. It's not psychosomatic. That would be insane. No. physical. <laughs> that would be a physical manifestation of, of yeah, and, psychological issues. And by something way, she can't control. By the way, Sarah Barletta is a mental health professional, which is why I wanted to have her on so we could talk very seriously about the actual like, me- like mental illness manifestations and what can we diagnose Brittany Murphy with. <laughs> And what? I and I had psychosomatic illness as a adolescent. Also, oh, we're here to talk about Eric, apparently. <laughs> well, um, no, I just because you brought up psychosomatic. <laughs> okay. What, what was wrong with you? I guess we're never mind. <laughs> no, I'm I mean, sorry. What was that wrong? With you? Nothing. I made it up. That's what psychosomatic is. Clearly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, okay. So, what's wrong with you now? What? Uh, I talk too much. <laughs> okay, but what is what does Brittany Murphy have in the movie? Other than PTSD. I guess, well, they say that she's been diagnosed with a number of things. And I think the whole, like, singing and shaking stuff that she does in the movie is just sort of this, like, general aesthetic of crazy, but doesn't seem to indicate actual real diagnosis. And I'm interested in sort of how her body type and the way that she moves and sings indicates actually nothing but an aesthetic. Well, in a few other films, as you said before, uh, Brittany Murphy plays a woman who is institutionalized for a variety of reasons. Yes. Right, in the movie Freeway, she's in a, um, a minimum security prison where she uh, creeps on Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, Girl Interrupted, she plays a woman who uh, eats a lot of chickens. Yes, that's a true fact. And uh, hides the carcasses in her uh, living area. Mm-hmm. And it seems that in all of these, uh, she uses similar uh, character traits and physical manifestations of her supposed mental illness, even though the three characters are very different. One of them is a, a, a violent drug addict, another is a victim of sexual abuse, and uh, the one in the film that we saw tonight is uh, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and possibly also we were talking maybe some sort of a, a narcissistic personality disorder or some sort of thing that would cause her to try to manipulate people and lie all the time. Well, we should also mention, though, that she it's revealed that uh, she does she is literally faking it because she's trying to save... She's trying to stay protect herself by being in mental institutions, and so she starts mimicking the way genuine schizophrenics or genuine, I guess, obsessive compulsive disorder is yeah. kind of thrown around. So they so that was the thing is that the the brilliant psychologist or psychiatrist Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas, the forensic psychiatrist, uh, figures out that she is uh, expertly faked all these uh, behaviors. Because apparently he's the only one who can recognize fake 
Catatonia. Yeah, all right. of, Oliver Platt isn't good enough. Yeah, right. he's not, no. Well, it's because he doesn't touch his patients like Michael Douglas uh, yeah, does. Yeah, he's, he's the teen toucher, the teen whisperer. <laughs> yeah, he, he senses mental illness physically through touch. By touching children. Mm-hmm. That would make me feel better. And actually, also that were the case. creates mm-hmm. mental illness physically yeah. through By touching, touching. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of his patients are like, well, doctor, whatever, what was his name, doctor... Dr. Michael Douglas. Dr. Dr. Michael Michael Douglas. No, it was like Calderon, Coster. Dr. Crawford? I don't know. Something like that. Um, Nathan. Nathan something. Nathan R. I also remember R was his middle initial. Anyway, uh, but anyway, they're like, they're like, oh, doctor, you've really touched me. (laughs) Yeah. Alex, what did you think about, like, what would you diagnose Brittany Uh, Murphy with in this film? I don't know. She mostly was just playing kind of like um damaged like damaged sexy white girl it seemed to me yeah and i'm interested in the midriff choices that yeah. were made in this film there was lots of midriffs there was lots of sing songs spooky kid songs to make you feel a little afraid but not really it doesn't really work and Brittany murphy does the little girl voice even in the parts where she isn't playing somebody who's suffering from mental illness and so what is that about when she's playing a character who is mentally unwell the little girl voice indicates some kind of developmental impediment that caused her to remain in arrested development Mm -hmm. but then in no. Oh. <laughs> Wait, are you spo- are you talking specifically about this movie? I'm talking about in all of the Brittany oh, okay. Murphy films. The mm-hmm. ones where like for example like this film where she plays a um a, a mentally unwell person. Her voice comes to stand in for her illness as a it's like know. a metonym for it's it. It's a yeah. marker of when the trauma happened. And in Girl Interrupted, it's the same thing. She right. sexually abuses a child and is still very childlike. Yeah, but she still has the little girl voice, but in all of her non-mental illness parts. Like, for example, as Eric pointed out, yeah. as Luann on mm-hmm. uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, or, when she first speaks in this movie, she totally sounds like Luann when like she gets excited and kind of like whisper exclaims. Yeah. I'll never tell. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> Uncle Hank. You know, like... <laughs> You're and then also jealous. when she plays uh, the character of the um, the Pygmalion type in uh, Clueless. Oh, Ty? Ty. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I've never wait. had straight friends before. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't sound anything like her. Wait, yeah. Pygmalion? Right, because... Like Galatea. Like, uh, well, well, because um, in the... Is this like, you mean like a pig person? No, Pygmalion, the Greek story or like My Fair Lady. Eric, it's like you didn't even go to high school. <laughs> Alex, explain the story of Pygmalion. You're a playwright. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, because she's like an unattractive girl. And no, so she's like look, a pig the sto- it's my fair lady, for Christ's sake, oh. Eric. Oh, the like rags to riches, the, the, uh, uh what was the Rachel She's Lee all Cook? that. It's the, yeah, the she's all right, that. Right, yeah. I will take so this person who is not good and I will make them approachable and uh, presentable and okay. Cruel mm-hmm. intentions. Right. And yes. so in Clueless, that's the sure. idea. I mean, because it does sound like like mammalian and pygmalion, you know. And I believe yeah. in Clueless, it, that's because it, Clueless. It's it, Emma. It's Emma, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. one oh, of the like things that happens movie. in yeah. Emma. Like, uh, yeah. But I, you know what? I was just thinking though. I was noticing that we were talking about how Brittany Murphy in this movie she fakes mental illness in order to sort of like escape the clutches of these perpetrators. And I was thinking about how, and we're interested in what are the vo- vocal choices or sonic sort of manifestations of that faking it. And then I was thinking about that episode we did about the show Faking It and how um, the character of Karma uses 
her voice in order in order to perform a sexuality that is not her own. So what is it about bitches and <laughs> white bitches and their using I, of their voices in order to become crazy? Crazy. It's a little peculiar. What do you guys think? Angelina Jolie doesn't do it. Well, yeah, because she's always crazy. She only has one thing. That's possible. But mm-hmm. she's, in Girl Interrupted, she's the one who's full of sounds. She's the one who's screaming and repeating things. Uh, well, she's yeah. also way more dynamic. Yeah. But that's just because she's a better, well, not no, she's not a better actor. I actually think Brittany Murphy is as good an actor as Angelina Jolie. Oh, she used to be, Used anyway. to be. She's stone cold dead now, unfortunately. But I think that... Jesus, Eleanor. <laughs> what? That's how you talk. You're always talking about how people are stone cold I have cold no dead. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> how could you be that cruel and cold? This is a human being. I know. That was talking. a human being. Right, yeah, she's stone dead now. Yeah, yeah. So what is it, though? I mean, because I feel like when, if men, okay, what's an example in media or in life of a man performing a mental illness? Vincent D'Onofrio. Ooh. Yeah, he plays crazy people all the time, yeah. He plays high five across the room. High five across the room, yeah, no, nice. So in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Is that what you were thinking of specifically? I was thinking, well, I was thinking, I mean, all of his stuff, that that was where he started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had the well. That was more of the, the 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 crazy face where you look at the floor. You face the floor, but you look up. Yeah. Um, so you get that like crazy menacing eyebrows. But he did it in. Uh, oh, men do eyebrows. Women use their voices. They look <laughs> well. They look the man. The man does the thing where where the face is pointed down, but then they look up at you. Sort you know, of like, like a, a predatory animal, like a, a tiger or yeah. something yeah. that's uh, looking at you over the top of something. Mm-hmm. Alex, can you think of like a theatrical example, because I can't right now, of like dude mania or like dude craziness? Um, or not even the- like anything, really. Sure. Like I mean, I just l- I thought that I liked when we talked about Michael Douglas being the actual crazy person. He's yeah. totally the crazy person. Because he was he was like manic and like bouncing around the room mm-hmm. all the time and touching all the sorts inappropriate of touching. But it's <laughs> and he was putting his daughter's life at risk constantly. Yeah, yeah. Just in a totally would... irrational way. But it's like Sarah was saying when we were watching the movie. I'm just like pointing at you like I'm an asshole. Uh, is that like there's this because he's. Uh, the protagonist, you're sort of forced into this identification with him, even though, yeah, Alex is right, he is the actual crazy one. I think also because he's a man, a white man. Really? I think that his behavior is like, if the roles were reversed and this were all about, like, Famke Jensen having to get the daughter back, we'd be like, this crazy bitch keeps putting her daughter at risk. Like, right, I think, that's a good I point. I think that he's he, just a he gets away with a lot more because he's white, educated, in the in the movie, he's yeah. white, educated, a professional on the west side. What's well, like, true about Michael Douglas money. in general? Yeah. <laughs> money. Money. Yeah. The, the thing that you're describing is, is exactly what happens in the film Flight Plan. Where oh, with Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster uh, takes a little bit of uh, extra care to try to find out what happened to her child who was abducted on an airplane, and immediately everyone she interacts with assumes she's out of her mind. Yeah. Um. And going back to Eleanor's point, I think that that's part of why female craziness is through words and, and the voice, because I think most of the time it's, whether they actually are mentally ill or not, they're portrayed as what they think or their viewpoint or what they're saying is being crazy. Whereas it's it's less like I liked what you said about the predatory animal with men, mm-hmm. or they're they're just disorganized and gone. Mm-hmm. Like with women, it's like what she believes is wrong or what she's saying is wrong, and that's well, what she makes her crazy. Like, she has a lot of misguided sexuality too. Like who does? But, uh, Brittany Murphy is like tries all these different things to to manipulate Michael Douglas. Um, so she's like 
splays herself out and stretches and shows her belly and yeah. talks not just not just childlike but talks like like sexy child you know mm-hmm. like do you want me to call mm-hmm. you daddy like that oh, kind of thing like yeah. there's a lot of but it's creeping weird. out that way it's weird how he is shown as like sexually mature in the, the Michael like, Douglas yeah Michael Douglas where it's like he wouldn't fall prey to that even though he is super creepy to her mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in uninten- unintentional ways are we supposed to believe that he's creepy toward her or is this just like us I think it's I just our know. I think it's that yeah it's, it's 2015 part of what went wrong and that was yeah that's why it has 24% on rock <laughs> yeah but I mean, like, even when he was trying to be sexual with his wife, with the like the sponge, sponge, sponge yeah, bath, yeah, we didn't like it. That was it disgusting. Proved, so there's always well, there's the, also the age gap too. No, but there's the no, but it's for gross. Me, there was more to I, it. No, I there agree. Was more I than the age for me. I don't know if it was. No, I agree. It was the definitely. makeup that you he know, was wearing. What part yeah. of it was for me is that because she's like she's uh, she's what am I trying to say? Bedridden. Bedridden, yeah. And he's giving her a sponge bash. There's still that, there's like, daddy-daughter. Like, there's still this predatory well, and then power she, dynamic. And, yeah, she did. She was like, I already <laughs> had a bath. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, already, I already did the sponge bath today. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Our daughter gave us Michael she's Douglas, hey, it. no is no. a complete sentence, okay? Douglas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, exactly. I, have, I, I, I also want to, I mean, the, the thing about sponge bath is it's, it's, it's a trope that it's supposedly hot, yeah. which only ever, it's only successfully employed as a joke. Like, when... The, the whole episode of Seinfeld where uh, his mother, George, has to live. He's living back at home and he's masturbating and his mother walks in on him and she throws out her back <laughs> and uh, he's visiting her in the hospital. Yes. And then there's this like uh, we only see it in shadow. But this like uh, yeah, right. the this other patient is sexy and the sexy nurse comes in. They're like, it's time for your sponge bath. Mm-hmm. And so it's all for comedic effect. And so this movie shows you that it, it is not possible to have a sexy sponge you know, bath. Also, he rings out the sponge oh twice. Two twice. million times. Each, each shot is like one because ringing out of the sponge. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a very unsexy medical procedure. It's that this person is uh, bedridden, and it, it, it's a thing that it has and to be smell. done. There's yeah, nothing it, sexy about being stuck in bed and not being able to move. Yeah, you know what else and is? not being able to bathe. There's nothing sexy about a sponge being uh, the phallus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then <laughs> like she's like, I don't want the phallus right now. Leave yeah. the phallus. Yeah. We, we, so can we all agree that this was not SpongeBob? <laughs> no, this is not a SpongeBob film. But you know what else I associate with with um, Sponge Baths is, you know in the movie Cinderella, the cartoon animated movie? The famous mm-hmm. SpongeBob. There's, <laughs> no, there's a scene, the, I only know this because Andre and I watched it recently. Um, there's, a scene where like she's like getting ready for the day and she's like and all the the birds I know exactly the what you're talking birds. about. Alex is nodding. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? And the animated birds pick up the sponge and they like carry it to her and it's like oh thanks birds. Like wait, is this Cinderella or Snow White? Cinder- Cinderella. Cinderella. Maybe there's also a SpongeBob scene in Snow White. Maybe this well, is like Snow a thing. Well, Snow White. It's Snow White. The birds like you know they like drape her yellow. Snow you know White what it is? Is it on her old fashioned? Well, that's the thing. They didn't yes. have a shower. Like, it's old fashioned. So it's what we associate SpongeBob baths with are old timey things or like being in bed yeah and being sick you know I th- oh. or or like cleaning the bathroom or like gr- like sponges clean up gross stuff this is the sponge episode guys welcome it, back it also to when you say ghosts. it makes you think of spongebob squarepants because it sounds like sponge bath yes sponge, that's, that's also sponge true, bath yes <laughs> oh god Okay, so moving so on from moving the sponge. on from the sponge baths. Okay, so those are the things that indicate 
Michael Douglas is crazy. I almost said Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Douglas is That's crazy. a different episode. Well, also, <laughs> that, also that awful breakfast cooking scene that is like straight out of a Cialis commercial. But it's so interesting to me that there are all these like really like specific parts because he's the protagonist but like specific behaviors and like plot points that like indicate his neuroses and like weirdness and the only thing we know about Brittany Murphy and how she's codified as crazy is because she wears a lot of white and shows her tummy and like wanders around Mm -hmm. in like weird languid fashion so like it's like women appear and like men do well her hair is disheveled a lot like it's carefully styled but it's disheveled yes meticulously disheveled yes Mm -hmm. And, And and bleached yeah, and, and they uh, they paint her skin gray. The the you know like the makeup. They did that to Michael Douglas too. Yeah, well, well he was, he's more pink. Yeah, as I say, he was more like a ti- China doll. Like they painted him white, and then they they accented him with pink. It's weird to me that they like he, he like performs all these different tropes, and we have like him doing the breakfast scene and like the sponge bath stuff, and these are all things that are well known, well trodden. But like for some reason, when he does it, it's off. Mm-hmm. Like what's it, that about? I don't know. We're not watching. We're we're. It seems like we should know how this works, and it should like affect us a certain way emotionally. But it, instead, it's totally like. Well, part of it is that he doesn't have the intensity that he normally has in these sort of thrillers. He looks frail. The, this is uh, in uh, this is the long the end of a long line of uh, oh, yeah. s- psychological thrillers for Michael Douglas, going back to Fatal Attraction and, and including. Uh, basic Instinct and uh, disclosure. disclosure. I also yeah. think it's hard for us not to think of any thriller with Michael Douglas as necess- it's necessarily erotic. Mm-hmm. Like, he's necessarily... Yeah, why is Michael... Who came up with the idea that, you know what we're going to do for the next 20 years? We're going to make movies about how sexy Michael Douglas well, is. I think it's His hair is so great. He's incredibly serious. He is, and he, he's got he, a nice voice. He has a nice... He comes across as being both uh, masculine and intellectual. Exactly, which is really hard to find in Hollywood. He like, also comes from an awesome line of right, Kirk Douglas. He's like, he's not attractive enough to... His brother is Buster Douglas, the boxer. Oh, he's, wait, really? <laughs> he's not attractive enough, enough for us to think he's dumb. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. So he, like, performs certain... Manner is also he's happens to be an intelligent actor in the way that he moves and the choices that he makes, except for this film, which I actually don't really blame him for. I blame. I don't really blame I'm, him either. Yeah, but Who I didn't find any of film? the emotional connections either, though. Like, yeah, I didn't feel anything between him and his daughter. I didn't feel anything between him and Famke Jensen. Or this is what I was saying. And that's what's supposed to motivate him through the whole he's, film. He sleepwalks through the film. Mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't bring any of the intensity that he brings to even his like B level uh, thrillers. Why do you think he said yes to this? Andre, you you. Well, seen... he was getting old, uh, and this was probably one of the last times that he was given an opportunity to be in something like this. And it did make a hundred million dollars, so he probably just thought it was going to be one more of those things that he's been doing for the last twenty years. Yeah. You know, just one of those things that he doesn't really have to think too hard about. And... You know what I choose to believe he did it for? I believe. Love. <laughs> yes, and here's why. I believe that he has suffered from from psychosomatic um, sleepwalking cat- fake catatonia syndrome and he this is his chance to tell his story <laughs> <laughs> through Brittany Murphy as as Michael Douglas so I, so I had a, actually I had a thought like you're talking about actors and trying to pick roles and like him being like you mm-hmm. said like he's he's not so pretty we think he's dumb right and I, I was which thinking is about, a little simple but yeah. right but I was thinking about Brittany Murphy and is is the serious counterpoint to the like dumb bimbo the like crazy girl? In 
Interesting. Because she well, took because a lot of... women can never be normal. I don't know, but well, she didn't really... they can't. She didn't really have that much of a character, though. No, she didn't. So right, it but wasn't, she was an actress. None of the characters were characters. No. It's, it Except was, Sean Bean. He Sean was a real Bean. character. Can he was getting into all kinds of trouble. In this movie, Sean yeah. Bean nailed, knocks it out of the park. He well, does a good job. He was the most dynamic. He had the most backstory. He had the, like, yeah. I was, like, rooting for Sean Bean, kind of. I yeah. kind of like Snake. Yeah. Snake, Snake, Snake was, was my He was the best dad in the whole movie. This is, oh, this is the character Max, the yeah. uh, the criminal who with the long hair. Who's, who, whose job is to like take, a neck tattoo. He, gets, he always gets stuck with taking care of the kid on their capers. Yeah, yeah. whenever they kidnap a child. Well, I was really, well, I liked all the multiple Rip off plot lines, so like, and, and uh, I mean, it didn't quite work out that way for Snake, but it had the potential <laughs> of being the like uh, Natalie Portman and, oh, uh, and like Leon, Leon the professional. the professional, and then Famke Johnson's stuck in her own rear window mm-hmm. vignette. I think they were definitely trying to go for a Leon the professional yeah. thing, and it did not work. At I, all I think what they were hoping was that they would do like. 10% of 10 good movies and end up with 100% of a good <laughs> film. But what they ended exactly up with right. was... It's a 24 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, they ended up with yes. about 24% of a movie. But exactly. what, a, but what a, I mean, just one small tweak could have... Because that guy, that you know, he's a henchman that you know is going to die. Mm. And he ha- he's going to be the most developed henchman and also be the one that dies along with all the other bad guys because this is going to be a you know, straightforward good guy, bad guy. Mm-hmm. But what a nice little twist that would have been if he has this you know, narrative arc where he like realize, you know, like he tries to take care of the little girl. And so his last thing is to like do some minor thing that doesn't, you know, like he pushes her out of the way or something. And then the boss gets mad and shoots him. But yeah. it's not his story and it's not really anyone's story. The whole thing is a big pile of crap. Right. <laughs> the one of the issues. Well, I would, I guess what I'm saying is even that little bit would have made it a much better movie. Well, what was, is, was there a moment in this movie that was like, because I find with any sort of terrible thing, there's always like something sort of incidental, and it's always mm-hmm. incidental, um, that is sort of captivating or interesting. For me, at least, I experienced this. And I'm curious, Sarah, you're looking at me like you have one of these. What's No, I don't have one. I just remember you mentioning yours. Wait, what was mine? Oh, the I'll Never Tell thing? No, the... Uh, what was it? I think it was for you... I know it was towards the end of the movie. You were like, why does such a terrible movie have to have one, like, oh, shining yeah. silver lining? Oh, it was because... It was when she wrote the numbers backwards, when she wrote, I think? Well, what happened... No, and Eric mentioned it. It's that... It's not that she remembered the numbers in her brain. Oh, she yeah. had muscle memory yeah, from she writing knew how they the felt. numbers. Before. Yeah, so she didn't actually know what they That's said. She just like fucking Chekhovian genius. <laughs> yeah. Like we learn, like it's just this like psychological. Like that's the psychologically the thrilling imprint. part for yeah. me. Is the like way that your body remembers things. But there were so yeah. many things in the movie where it seemed like what they did was they. Were, they came up with the broad strokes of what the story was, and they, you know, sketched out a couple of things about what would be some cool little twists, mm-hmm. and then they did no further work, yeah. and yeah. they drew the lines as straight as they possibly could between everything. And the biggest I- problem I had with this was actually the way that they treated mental illness in the film. Mm-hmm. Proceed. C- because they started with the idea, hey, what if there's a crazy woman who has a secret, and you need to get it from her in order to do something, which in the case of the film was was save your daughter's life. It seemed like a video game kind of. Right. They way. were treating yeah. mental illness as though it were simply a 
perfectly functional plot device. Which is a thing you see all the time yeah. in any thriller. It, so it many posits right. that, that in she every She was crazy because the plot needed her to be. Yeah. But it, not well, because it, of she was an actual working And it's not even character. that she's crazy. She's a safe that Michael Douglas has to crack by yeah. five o'clock. So like, not only is she crazy, she's an object She's not a person. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it, I think a lot of movies and TV shows posit that, that like, at, but behind... In, locked in every crate, quote unquote crazy person's mind is this like really important secret. And it's like <laughs> in a mental hospital is just full of all these treasure, these keys to treasures. We're and, all John Nash yeah. on the inside. Right. Like we and all just have to un- like in there an idiot savant or they're, you know, the, the, yeah. we have to find their root and force them to face it. And then they'll like cough up. And the, I like, hate that intellectualization of mental illness too. That mm-hmm. really frustrates me. Like, Especially, like, as someone who is mentally ill and also stupid, it, like, offends me that I have to, like, be this, you know, like, oh, yes, well, yeah. my, my mother used to always say this to me when I was a kid, like, like oh, you know, you're not a cookie-cutter kid, you, like, you're, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, no, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm also boring. Like, I don't know, like, like what yeah. is it, isn't it possible well, the, to be, like, a boring person and yeah. also mentally ill? Like, I hate right. the way that we're supposed to be, like, mentally ill people are, like, always, like, geniuses. I actually think that's super dangerous and super mm. racist in a lot of ways. Well, not Although, racist. No, it is, because there is this sort of, like, way in which... Mentally ill people aren't a race. Well, no, but they're, no, no, my point that I'm making is that, like, they're, like, these images, like, wealthy white women are, like... Though, like, they're Mm -hmm. sick, they're ill, they're mentally ill, but, like, you don't think about how, like, homeless people are crazy, they're not mentally ill. You know what I mean? I'm sort of interested in this, like, difference between crazy and mentally ill. It's all about resources. If you're a homeless guy on the street with schizophrenia and can't afford medication, yeah, you're crazy. Then you're crazy. And that's it, you know, bing, bang, boom. But if you're you're white and you have resources or you're pretty, then, you know, you're you're mentally ill and you can be treated and... And apparently all you need to do is be exposed to your triggers and you'll be fine apparently. five hours later. Yeah. And that was what you said about how they intellectualize it. That's what I think bothered me was that mm-hmm. he's this forensic psychologist. Is so it, he, isn't that actually his job? No, I don't know. Someone no, said that. Not. Okay, no, yeah. He's a, I think he's a psychiatrist, first of all. He's, he's a not psychiatrist. even a psychologist. He's a psychiatrist at an all-boys school. Yeah. That used, he used but to he be used really to good. He used to be really good because he worked at that state hospital and he was in the trenches. Right. And then, and then uh, Oliver Platt stayed there. And continue mm-hmm. to work, and now his job is re- to tell boys world. to masturbate less. Or no, more. he tells boys it's okay no, yeah, to masturbate. He says to masturbate more because right, if but you don't, don't commit crimes. Yeah. When well, you do it. well, he's like, because yeah, because if you if you stop jacking off, then you're gonna end up on panty. Is that how raids. this movie opens? The movie yeah. Yeah. opens. Well, no, it no. opens uh, with, with a, a bunch of goyim right, right, stealing right, right, right. from the Hasids <laughs> in in, Where did they in Williamsburg. This movie also manages to yeah. be anti-Semitic. <laughs> There's a lot of things but this movie does. What I was going to say was just that there is no psychology to what he does. Like, he doesn't do a single psychological thing in well, this entire film. Well, he says film. at the beginning of the film he doesn't like Freud. But nobody does. Oh, like, you don't yeah, have no to one... be into Freud to be but to in do psychological film, things. He brings up Freud and dismisses him as a way for you, the audience, to get an understanding that he He's doesn't like do things cool by the book. But, but I think but that no in and of itself... do that. That's... That in and of itself is a is a is incredibly I mean, by the book. But, but Can name I know? another psychiatrist besides Freud. Young. 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 Okay. okay. But the I point is, is like, the point is, is we're watching this. Rogers. And we're we're just looking <laughs> for these like. 
<laughs> we're just like looking for these visual cues. Like they even wrote Sigmund on like oh, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. You know, on. It's like they're just giving us these like head nods that are like I okay. Love, I well, love the idea that there is a mental hospital out there where people write Sigmund. Sigmund. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that too. But I was also thinking to go back to what Andre was saying about about the the he's not a guy that plays by the rules. I'm like he's not a regular psychiatrist. He's a cool psychiatrist. Yeah. This is what we're supposed to get. You know. Right. And he's, he says in the opening scene. I probably shouldn't be saying this. You know, I'm a professional. Really good Michael Douglas impression. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, everybody masturbates. Oh, God, it's too good. Which is ironic because that's probably, that's what? something he and Freud would probably really agree on. Yeah. Right. Didn't he say wax off? Yeah, you're right. Well, that's how we know it's a New York movie because, yeah, he's, he's always whacking off, you know? Oh, I thought it was the karate off. kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... No. I think that one of the reasons that this movie happened and is as terrible as it is, is because the person who wrote the film, who clearly knows nothing about uh, mental illness or mm-hmm. psychiatry as a profession. Or, right? or and, and, I, and I don't know anything about <laughs> mental illness or psychiatry as a profession, but I can tell he doesn't. Well, mm-hmm. then, you know, actually, that you say about, Eric says about bank robbery, it seems like that was actually the best dramaturgically motivated thing in the movie was actually the bank robbery seemed well, okay. Yeah, like, that, was a, ni- that like, was a good... Except good. that there's a $10 million jewel sitting in a safe deposit box in Williamsburg. Yeah. And that $10 million don't <laughs> exist. $10 million jewel. We looked that up. Yeah. That the, doesn't look The most expensive thing. is only $7 million in 2015 dollars. Yeah. Is that our biggest criticism of the movie? <laughs> is, is that they got the money no, wrong? No, no, I don't like how that the gem wasn't pretty. Yeah. That's true. That's that true. Was that was its biggest flaw. Yeah. Because when it, it comes down to it, it wasn't worth all that suffering. No, it was not. If it I, were prettier. I mean, I mean, yeah, that was the point of the movie at the end. Remember, they ask. Oh, yeah, Michael Douglas. It, who's and he's got this like fire glowing in his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, he got this big smile on his face. You know, he looks the way he did his character, who was crazy in Basic Instinct, looked mm-hmm. when he's, uh, you know. Killing people. Crazy. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, well, that was that was the question <laughs> about because he had to keep going back to his psychiatrist, who was Gene Triplehorn, mm-hmm, who ended mm-hmm. up being the killer. Oh wait, was she? No, she wasn't. It was the other. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that, movie that was another film, and in a long line of films of Michael Douglas, where Michael Douglas is playing a guy who's like, "I'm not crazy, man." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Can I ask a really leading question? What do you think the role of mm, like thriller thrillers in terms of their representations of mental illness has in like actual mental health or like your understanding of what mental oh, illness is. I have so is. many feelings about Please this. tell me everything. <laughs> like, I don't know, like whether or not that, ref- I- I'm not asking specifically like, how do you, f- how do you, how does it make you feel about mental illness? I'm asking, do you think it actually has like real widespread like policy ramifications? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Tell me more about this, Sarah. I mean, this is why the, I wanted the to big on one show. that I think everybody perceives in one way or another is that mentally ill people, particularly the more um, distressing ones like schizophrenia and sociopathy, that those people are like 99.9% likely to be violent and kill people when they are actually way more likely to be the victims to of, be violent victims crime. of violent crimes. Yes. Yeah. And it's just this, you know, I think there's no one knows that most sociopaths out there are like CEOs and lawyers. And there are yeah. a lot of people who are perfectly functioning with, with treatment on with schizophrenia. So mm-hmm. I think absolutely, especially with thrillers, you know, you might find another movie mm-hmm. that maybe would soiree into that, that they're not murderers. But with thrillers, like 100% of the time, if they're a killer or anything, they're, it's because they're a sociopath. This is, I, I see this a lot. Well, with, it makes um, it cool. Yeah. Yeah, but that because it's thrilling. Yeah, I right. see this a lot with um I was talking to somebody recently about 
the overabundance of di- diagnoses of bipolar disorder in girls. Mm-hmm. Like, which is you're not supposed to be able to do. Yeah, you it, have to be 18 to be diagnosed with. But bo- like, with like teenage girls, like in the yeah. last like 10 to 15 years, and just like, and then it emerges later on that like, no, they were just having feelings, feelings and like acting mm-hmm. in ways that seemed irrational to whatever same, standard. Same with like little teenagers. boys being diagnosed with ADHD. It's yeah. the yeah. same, th- it's a similar yeah. thing. It's a similar phenomenon. Although apparently the ADHD rates are on the, are, that's slowing down a little bit, Thankfully. I think. Yeah. Thanks, Frontline. But there's always going to be something. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah, but there's always going to be something, yeah. I guess. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, I just think, <coughs> like, what, uh, so you're saying this, I'm thinking, like, what would an accurate depiction of this be? And I'm like, it, yeah, would, be, well, it would be really boring. It would be mm-hmm. really boring, but it would be incredibly depressing. But, you, like, if you depicted, say, like, me when I'm having one of my severe depressive episodes, and it would just be like... be boring, but sad. Yeah. Well, it would just be, like, one long, uncut shot of, like, someone walking down the street, and it would be all voiceover, <laughs> just saying, like, the worst things about yourself over <laughs> and over again, and... It'd be video. That art. might be art, but it would it wouldn't be you know what I mean? Like well, there is it would a, just be like a shot of someone like not moving in the in, in real time the sunlight going down. There's um documentary was uh, released a few weeks ago, uh called uh, Misery Loves Comedy mm-hmm. about oh, yeah. the uh links between uh depression and stand up comedians. Mm-hmm. And how uh comics are uh disproportionately likely to um, suffer from depression and to also uh, commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the conclusion they come to is that for a lot of people who suffer from depression who are stand-up comedians, they go into comedy as a way of dealing with their issues. For sure. I was going to say that's like comedy is a coping mechanism. Like if you can laugh at these things. I don't know if that's, I mean, that seems like very simple to me in a way that it probably plays a part, but I, I just I think it's an externalization of their internal monologue. I think there are a yeah. lot of mental illnesses that cause distress and they cause people to be hypervigilant or notice more things or think about things. And so you, you mm. notice a lot of comedians are very observant or, yeah. you know, they'll pick at human behavior. And I think they're that, I think that and they also obsess yeah. over their own actions. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of them are self-deprecating or, you know, misanthropic. And yeah. I think a lot of that and they comes drink too from, much. <laughs> yeah. And apparently expose themselves sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> I think I think that I, I would like I think if you were gonna boil it down you could maybe say coping mechanism, but I think like if you stretch it out a little bit, it really is that they have a, they have a particular set of skills that <laughs> they have gotten from their experience and, and comedy yeah. is a really quote unquote healthy, socially accepted way for them to well, it could be it. productive well, because it also. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I also think that there's like, that I'm interested in what Sarah just said about the mundane, like this idea of like pointing out what happens in ordinary behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think this actually really gets to the point that Eric was making about how what it would actually be like mm-hmm. to have a movie that was like real, realistic um, representation of depression or whatever. Is that it's. Real cats being let out of real Real houses. cats being in real, real houses. Um, but, I, but I think it's. And that's why I think it's really interesting to talk about comedy, stand-up comedy, is necessarily having to do with the mundane and the ordinary and sort of the exposure skewering of those mm-hmm. of those things. It's not actually about, like, comedy that's, like, about, like, crazy laser cats, to me, is <laughs> never, like, as funny as, like, Richard Pryor talking about mm-hmm. spending $600 a day just to get his dick hard, you know? It's, mm-hmm. like, with, with where he turns cocaine addiction into, like, a, a, a mundane modernity. You know, yeah, I Robin Williams rather, did that, too. Rather than yeah. addiction as tragedy, it's, like, addiction as, like, the thing that you do in order to get yeah. through the I wonder, though, how much uh, comedy, stand-up comedy specifically, and specifically also 
the style of comedy that seems to be this neurotic, uh, self-obsessed kind of observational talky comedy, Mm -hmm. how much that thing's prominence uh, in our culture since the 60s has created in us this idea that everybody has uh, something psychologically wrong with them and that everybody is perfectly qualified to diagnose themselves. That is true. I'm definitely not a huge fan of self-diagnosis. I have a lot of problems with it. Who is a fan of self-diagnosis? People that don't want to go to the doctor. (laughs) Have you been on Tumblr? (laughs) I'm not saying people don't do it, but I'm saying who would say, like, I am a fan of people diagnosing. I I think that with that, those words, no one would say that they are. I'm not not saying that people don't do it, obviously. But this is uh, part of the reason that these thrillers uh like the the thrillers have this uh often explicitly psychiatric element to them and it's all uh, gobbledygook right Mm. none of it makes any sense but the 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 stuff comes from the the predecessor which was noir which used psychiatry Mm -hmm. as a way of um building suspense and increasing the stakes when it came to uh depicting villains Yes. Right? Like, a villain isn't just mm, somebody is. trying to rob a bank. He's, they're unpredictable. Right. They, they'll do something. loose cannon. Or maybe they're even more predictable in that you can't reason with them. You, you know exactly what they're going to yeah. do no matter what yeah. you do. You, you can't intervene. They become less than human. I want to ask Alex if he sees this, if he, if you, Alex, <laughs> see this. Do you see, yeah. like, in when writing plays, I mean, what are the... I guess you you also are interested in film and stuff like that, but when you're in but whatever, <laughs> but I'm I'm, specific, I'm specifically interested in like what is the relationship that theater has with mental illness and like playwriting, play like playwrights specifically in terms of how they depict that. I mean, generally, or just for me, or for you specifically, sure, sure. Um, I mean, like it's like I think very similar to like stand up comedy where it's like. Um, I don't know, the way that I see the world and perceive things enters in how I write, I guess. I don't know. Do you do it intentionally or no? Or is it just sort of, you um, say filters. So. No, I try to I try to be more, um, pull from like a sort of unconscious place, however real that may be. It could, you know, and yeah. and then like edit away, I guess, to make give it shape. To give it shape. Too abstract. It's a little abstract. I mean, I get what you mean. I'm interested in like how you say that you take what is in your subconscious or unconscious first, and then edit it in order to give it shape because it's it speaks to what we're saying that like there is no shape to mental illness. It's necessarily Mm -hmm. amorphous and difficult to pin down, and therefore it requires editing and honing in order to cultivate into it a narrative. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of what Andre almost got at, which was I mean he was making a different point, but um, he was saying, like, now, since the 60s, like, we've got this whole um, culture now of, like, a stand-up comedian or an artist or a playwright, like, being this certain mental person. And, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, these people are crazy or these people have the artist yeah. mentality or whatever. And that sort of perpetuates, like, a cycle of self-diagnosis and self Harm Do you see that as a problem in in art making? Like, obviously, it's a yeah, problem I, in terms I, of people, but is it a problem I mean, in making work? And maybe this goes without saying, but it's like uh, it's creating this whole mythology yeah. behind art making that isn't of, necessarily like true. Like, I think you can be like a, uh, a 
you can be a normal you can be person. a normal person and make good art. I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. totally think you can, and I think it sucks that like that's not a thing anymore. Well, it's like the romanticization. I can't say it of bipolar disorder and how mania helps you create and and, and you know I can't Silver be an, I can't book. be an artist if I'm on my medication. Well, there are so Ugh. many important God. artists. I can in only the 20th be an artist if I'm on my medication. No. <laughs> Where who our story of them now is the story of their mental illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Antonin Artaud struggling yeah, with his addiction and chronic pain and his bizarre uh, dementia, mm-hmm. right? Like, the that's how he uh, came up with a way of uh, reshaping the theater into something that was adventurous and confrontational, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, William Burroughs's... Uh, you know, addictions or, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, any number of, uh, you know. Well, it's like a modernization of the the idea of like the artist as some sort of like uh, vessel or like. Right. For the gods. Yeah, there's there's some sort of thing that like there's something abnormal about them that allows them. Yeah, yeah, a mystic that'll, you know, an oracle or something. And you know, it doesn't help fucking academia. Because yeah. you got fucking Deleuze and Guattari telling us about the the fucking schizoid and schizopolis and how we should all strive for this. I in schizopolis an, 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 normal is an, crazy. An <laughs> ideation of of uh, of what they deem to be this like I scattered think, identity. Well, culture. I think intellectuals tend to like love. They're like nerds, you know. Like they Oof. tend to love the, this like art so much that they want to mystify it because they don't. Yeah. You know, they they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Holy in their own way. Right. If, if it's just a, if it's just a magic trick, then they've been wasting their lives exactly. trying to understand it. Yeah. Well, I, they want they want to believe that an art project is necessarily indicative of a of the whole rather than a, a piece of the, of mm-hmm. the world. You know, you want to make you want to be able to map on a work of art that you love and respect so much onto your own life completely. But it never works like that. You can't just like put a thing that was constructed and honed and edited down and just, like, map it onto your own personal experience. But, but, I mean, like, I mean, at the same time, here I am still talking about, like, pulling from an unconscious, like, place to write stuff, which is another kind of religious, like, semi-religious idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like, going into, like, a state. Right, a fugue state. Yeah, 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 something to, like, produce art. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. know. I guess I think, like, I don't really see, for me, this is, God, this is not this could be dangerous, but like the difference between for me, like making art and writing what I do. Cause I see like, I've, I've, I've always describe myself as like an intuitive thinker in an analytical field. Like I think about things and they seem very programmatic to me, but I don't think that they actually are. So it's like really hard for me to understand this idea of just like letting f- something flow out of you and then editing it down. Cause to me, like when like, Everything, the idea comes and it just seems really systematic. I don't know. This is getting sol- solipsistic and no one gives a shit. But, like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, no, like, no, but I, I, can, I understand I, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to hear, I guess, just writing process. <laughs> is it? <laughs> no, well, it is to me because I write and, and I, 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 I wouldn't say it's subconscious. Like, when I write, I just try to write down everything I'm thinking and then I have to go back and edit it. That's it's it's, oh, it's that's possible that there's yeah. that because of the, the form of writing practice that produces uh, the kind of work that we end up consuming, Mm -hmm. that this particular practice which gets replicated, which is people just writing whatever and then shaping it into something that's consumable, that as a result we end up feeling like because this process creates work that we consume, that means the process must have some sort of a value in itself. Which I just don't think 
and I think that's part of the romanticization that's such a fucking problem is that there isn't something inherently beautiful about making art. There isn't something about the act of making art. There may be something inherently beautiful about be. art we can talk about. But I don't think that like I think we it should... depends on what Instagram filter you put on. <laughs> excellent point, Alex. I just don't think it's useful to like fetishize like the artistic process. Like it's great to fetishize well, art now and talk this about is art. It implies that, that there's one process. Too. This is yeah. something actually it's that true. does come up in the films of uh, Kristen Wiig over the past oh, yeah. few years is that she's made the same film four times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a producer and as an a, a lead actor, uh, when she made uh, Girl Most Likely, which was terrible. <laughs> it was her first starring vehicle after she left uh, SNL. SNL. Yeah. And then uh, Bridesmaids, and then Skeleton Twins, and then this, this year, most recently, uh, the uh, a Welcome to Me. Mm-hmm. And in each of these films, you know, she didn't write these films, but they all tell the story of a woman who overcomes mental illness in order to become a powerful creative overcomes force. mental illness. I don't know what that even means. Well, in yeah. this, in the case of these films, in the case which, uh, I mean, it's there's something oddly obsessive about the way that Kristen Wiig has spent the past four years. At, uh, pretty much full time, just making movies about white women struggling with mental illness. But I wonder how much of that has to do with Kristen Wiig making choices about the projects she's making, or the kind of things that her face seems to speak to. <laughs> like you know, like I people agree. see that face and those eyes. Well, there, she there, has uh, a character, and she knows. Yeah. Well, but there are plenty of screwball comedians who do weird stuff who don't explicitly make all of their projects about mental illness. But she made a movie first that was about somebody uh, who in the film is diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia. And then in the the following film is is, uh, diagnosed with depression. And then the film after that is diagnosed with uh, uh, bipolar disorder. And then in the fourth film, finally diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And in each of these films, uh, you know, she seems to believe that by uh, finding a way to live with this stuff, that she can have some kind of a hero's journey. Right, there's something, well, it's sort of, it's problematic to me in the sense that the idea that a mental illness in and of itself can map onto a hero's journey is kind of interesting. I mean, I think this is the like ultimate, I don't know, this is, the conclusion of what's happened be with uh, the commodification of the stories of these artists, right? Mm-hmm. Like, now, like, first we get the weird art from, like, the beats or something that comes from so-called mental illness, and then we get the story of their mental illness, mm-hmm. you know? So now we get stories about that. That's what I like about William... That, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. That's <laughs> what I like about William S. Burroughs is that, like, his stuff was never... Um, narrative it like never used mental illness as, a, as like a narrative device it was just like a, it was just so codified aesthetically into every aspect of it that I find that sort of I don't know why I find that like less fucked did he have a mental illness <laughs> I thought it was just a heroin addict didn't yeah, he I had depression he, he was, was pretty well at, at the time he was diagnosed with being gay <laughs> that too gayness yeah. in the DSM that was yeah and this is something that's brought up in Girl Interrupted mm-hmm uh, which is one of a number of films where Angelina Jolie, another uh, actress who decided to spend a great, a por- great part of her professional career depicting women who, uh, who were struggling with mental Until illness. Until she had kids and then it was like, nope, not anymore. If you're skinny and have big eyes, you're almost, and as a female, you're almost guaranteed to get yeah, those Yeah, that's going to be your thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Oof. I think if you're skinny and have big eyes, you're, you're guaranteed for a lot of roles if you're a famous person. That's true. <laughs> also true. Per- particularly starring in the film Big Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that movie. That movie was not about mental illness, though. Oh, oh, but the the big eye actress is Christina Ricci, and she was in Prozac Nation. Yes, she was. Mm-hmm. So there is definitely a correlation between big eyes. And <laughs> I, I want to see a graph is how big your eyes are and how yeah. crazy you are in movies. Well, there's like a thing I people talk about about crazy eyes. Yeah. That's a thing people identify, and I, I'm not saying it's real, but eyes are that's something that yeah. Well, and yeah. you know, it kind of like leaks into that as yeah. to people. Big eyes are a way to convey. They're just like of, a sign, for, and it shows yeah. like a little bit well, of mania, kind of. But you know what this. Like, Brings up an, an issue regarding uh, the way that acting works in America after Stanislavski, mm-hmm. which is that uh, since so much of um, Strasberg and Stanislavski acting technique is about understanding the psychology of the character that you're playing, the character that you want to play is the person with the abnormal psychology. Oh yeah, well good. So yeah. then the character, yeah. so then actors who are committed to a kind of method or studio mm-hmm. approach are going to uh, be interested in playing characters who are suffering from mental disorders. And the, uh, the male also... actors who had the same um, you know, affinity for mental illness were Jack Nicholson and Marlon yeah. Brando. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's well, I really want to say that's one of, in my opinion, is one of the most despicable things about acting. What? what? Oh, I love this, go on. This whole, I'm a serious actor and I'm going to research this role and I'm going to learn about the psychology of this person. And it's just like, I'm going to take, uh, yeah. uh, I can't think of the a tool. I'm gonna take a metal tool that spins and I'm gonna bore out the inside of this person yeah. and make a space for me to climb inside them and because I'm so serious and I'm so dedicated. Well, that's and, the biggest. And I'm gonna research yeah. this thing and, I'm, and, and it's like, no, this is I mean, someone's we, life it that sounds you're like, like. Due diligence to me. Yeah what you just described like they're like doing their job but there's this like certain mm, like no. like godlike egoism about it that's well, like I, you need I, I, I will become the vessel it's another of vessel this thing okay, yeah. that, this yeah. is the biggest like, thing that the biggest problem with Stanislavski not is doing not, a good job re- rehearsing a role it's, it's beyond that sometimes the biggest problem with Stanislavski I have with Stanislavski is not like method acting necessarily it's the idea that actors are inherently intelligent which is the farthest thing from the truth (laughs) actors are dumb most actors are super dumb and that's okay we just gotta stop expecting them to be smart to be fair everybody (laughs) nearly everyone in the world is an idiot this is also true Mm -hmm. oh my god we sound like such assholes we are we are i mean i think i mean i said i'm dumb so that's okay (laughs) so everything's fine who's dumb (laughs) i don't know luigi luigi's pretty dumb but the rest of you guys are pretty smart. I don't know. I just think. Well, feel that's like that's not the thing I usually beat myself up. I don't over. identify with dumb, but I have a lot of other things I identify with. Negative yeah. things. No, yeah, okay. Well, not, I guess that's okay then. As long as you hate yourself, as long as you hate yourself, you're fine. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry about it. <laughs> as long as you're compensating for something, yeah. then right. you're allowed to be an asshole. Can I comp- <laughs> I, how, how do I that? compensate? That's the pro- my problem. How am I? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I wonder though if the habit that people had uh, in the second half of the 20th century of attempting to understand people in terms of a diagnosis led to a situation in which we're uh, often you know, thinking about everyone in the world in terms of their mental illness. And so people don't have personalities anymore. And they, 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 have a seri- they have a list of symptoms. I think well, that's, and that's true. the dirty secret that 
psychologists don't want anyone to know, which is that every single person with depression is a different person and is going to present differently. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly like you said. It's like, okay, here are the DSM's nine criteria for depression. Let's make sure, you know, Brittany Murphy shows eight of those. And then Mm -hmm. bing, bang, boom, she doesn't need a backstory. She doesn't need a personality. But when the whole point of depression is that it... It affects who you are, so you have the a personality. The reason we've been giving people depression is... <laughs> well, yeah, it, you have a personality, and, and sometimes it's filtered through depression, or it's affected by depression, mm-hmm. or it's affected by the fact that the depression's gone, or or something, whereas, well, the, it be, like you said, it becomes it becomes their identity. I used to be that a writer, like in the 19th century, right, a writer tries to depict a person. And mm-hmm. the way that they attempt to depict a person is by describing them physically and describing their behavior. The good old days of the 19th century. And, and characterizing them with certain traits and saying, this is what this person is like. This is who they are. This is, I am, I am drawing you a word picture of a, a human life. And now it's what you are like. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, I was just thinking about the high fidelity phenomenon, which I think is actually links up to what Sarah's talking about. Mm. I'm sorry, go on. Andre. What's the high fidelity like when you? No, shut it up. I'm that. sorry. I'm sorry. I fucked up. No. What do you, Andre? Go on. So, so when, when that was the case, it was possible for people to be good, mm-hmm. or for people to be bad, right? You could judge people, and this was actually something that people were expected to do was to judge people. You had to judge people based on their character all the time. And people had characters to be judged. (laughs) And now people don't have characters and they don't have personalities. They have symptoms and they have diagnoses. Well, but those diagnoses, I think, I agree with what you're saying, but I think those diagnoses themselves are also linked to this, like, greater late capitalism issue, which is that, like, we don't have time for people to have narratives and stories, we have to put in this like Star Wars thing or uh, we gotta get the first act, which is this. It's like you have these like symptoms, like uh, which can be tall Luke Skywalker type <laughs> or this, you know, like symptoms map onto- Wait, Star Wars is a great narrative. Okay, well, I got I'm thinking about that Don McKee, what was that Don McKee thing you were telling me about, Andre? The guy who, uh, or Alex knows, who uh, wrote that story. book about yeah, story. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and how maybe that might reflect? Brian yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Basically, he's like a Hollywood guru, like telling you how to. There's one way to write a story. Right, right. And only one way. Is this the save the cat? Well, no, actually, yeah, I think that's part of it. No, there's, I think he actually describes two or three or like there's like your, and this is actually psychological too, where he talks about like your um, impression of the world will be reflected in the story that you tell, but he thinks that everyone who believes in who everyone's who's a cat, filthy capitalist basically no basically he thinks like everyone who who um mm-hmm. who has any faith in the world or like any beliefs will mm-hmm. tell a story of redemption like a oh, a, yeah. like so, a, a classic hollywood story but then if you are like a nihilist mm-hmm. or like you don't believe in this path Mm-hmm. then you will have one where there's no change in the character. So, and like, if you're no a depressed person, you'll tell a story where there is no God. Right. And, and calls, if you're not, yeah. And he calls that art. And he, like, he even, like, <laughs> like sets up, he even, like, sets up, a, like, a graph, basically, that says, like, this this will make money and this I, will not. I love the Cartesian planes that are in all the screenwriting books that ever get produced. It's all just uh, lines and dots and, you know, this is where you go here and this is how many how much time passes and yeah. it's all so mathematical. It literally is a formula. Yeah. I mean, now I wish I had done my, my homework and actually read this book so I could talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's better that you didn't read it. We don't want to spoil your mind. Yeah, it's, well, it, and I think that that connects to this, yeah, same way uh, how in, like, 
this Brittany Murphy movie. You know, Brittany Murphy is catatonia or she is crazy, which is codified in this and this and this way, like eight symptoms, like you said, or whatever. Well, what's, what's, what kind of adds a little bit of a, not twist, but what kind of Ooh. makes, not a twist, but what kind of makes this movie a little different is that she is... She was a tomato the whole time. She, she is um, mimicking other symptoms. So, like, she got 20 different diagnoses because she was mimicking symptoms from 20 different right, diagnoses. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's she kind of portrays this, like, mishmash of, like, vague mental illness, but that's what the character is supposed to be doing. So right. I almost have a hard it's time kind of criticizing her, por- not her, por- that portrayal of mental illness yeah. because mm-hmm. the trauma part was vaguely kind of sort of representative of what trauma can be like for some people. And then the <laughs> rest of it was but a how, mishmash. How many sociopaths suffer from PTSD? Isn't it like a one? She's not I, a sociopath. But she does manipulate people and Just, lie to people her but whole But that life. doesn't make you a sociopath. Yeah, there are plenty of people Especially, that manipulate and lie to people yeah. her whole life. Well, and this is something I wanted to touch on too, which is that like, and I was thinking about this um, when you were talking about kind of putting everything out and then kind of shaping it, is that everybody has bits and pieces of themselves where they can relate to a mental illness, whether they have it or not. Of course, yeah. Sad people can, can, can (laughs) identify with a depressed person to an extent. Mm -hmm. And, and I think they just need to snap out. The only thing, they just need to snap (laughs) out. The only thing that makes someone, you know, mentally ill is that's the million dollar question that Mm -hmm. no one really has the answer to. But like, theoretically it's because they finally like hit this tipping point in distress where it qualifies as a disorder now. Mm -hmm. And where they can't have a job anymore. Where they can't, yeah, exactly. And, and that's, now that's really the gauge, isn't it? Apparently, oh, yeah. can you not I, make? You're money either anymore? a functional, yeah. like a functional Productive. alcoholic, mm-hmm. or a functional depressive, or a functional whatever you are, or you're a dysfunctional one. Yeah, and the difference hospital. is is whether or not you're able to make oh, enough money. You know to live. what I fucking hate yeah. is when addicts or depressed people or any any addicts are try to talk me- to you on the street. No, it's like this idea, like. People like will come out as like an addict to something, or oh, like that yeah. they've been depressed. This like, but the thing that's so great about it is that nobody knew at my job. I'm like, congratulations, you know? No, like, I, I guarantee sort of you, incre- they totally knew at your job, and they're like, that's the person that's always getting drunk at lunch. Or yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Can that's I play devil's person. advocate for a little second though? Because I think for a lot of people who are trying to hide mental illness, that is one of the biggest parts of their day that takes the most of their energy. Oh, yeah. And so for them, there is an element of pride of like, I was able to appear, I'm doing air quotes here, but like appear <laughs> normal or I was able to, you know, I went home and was exhausted every day, but it's because I had this mask on all day. It's and just not a competition. It it's not. It absolutely you know, is not. But I can out. understand why to them that yeah. would be a point of pride. Well, all right. But the, well, also that it's, it, it's a success. Not just a pride. Well, but it's like, that okay. That they would perceive it as much, a success? Yeah, I would yeah. Well, agree. it's a, that, that you're dying inside, but it, like, at least you were, <laughs> I think it depends you were able on to your, get to work on time and you were, like, able to, like, achieve certain things I think it depends day. on your job, though. That's like, it depends on what you're, like, you you're you're peddling right exactly yeah. <laughs> like right, yeah. if you're you're like a graphic designer or something <laughs> like it might be cool that you like have like a yeah. sort of like fun like drug addiction <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> Oh my god, it's so funny because it's like absolutely, it's absolutely accurate. True. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he's like a fun. Po- he's like a fun cokehead. You know. This <laughs> is what we've been seeing with uh, stand-ups lately. Oh yeah. Is that like for it's decades we've been? A, 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 it's just like oh well, you know, stand-ups are they're fuck-ups. 
Yeah. You know, they they have they're horrible people and we just expect them to do terrible things. They're gonna, you know, shoot up heroin and they're going to uh, you know, cheat on their wives and Whatever, no consequences, it's fine. And, and yeah. they're and they're gonna like act um skeezy around uh young women. So and, that's mm-hmm. a thing. You know, like that's mm-hmm. sort of like well, I shorthand. That was, yeah. I always thought that was like lame when a when a stand up comedian would have like a rock star problem. <laughs> You know, Wait, what do you we're mean? like, you're just a comedian. Why are you shooting up heroin? It's not like you're like a rock star. I was talking to my friend recently about how uh, there are like, there's like this thing that like young, attractive women comics like to do where they like to pretend like they're hideous. Because mm-hmm. they're oh, like, yeah. and, and all it, their jokes are about like, how they, how much ice cream I <laughs> ate. It's like, oh my god, the consequences of you eating ice cream are not nearly as bad as you like want mm-hmm. them to be for this joke to work. Right, yeah. it bums me the fuck well, out. Unless they're making a comment on like how other people obviously, treat them. but usually that's not. Usually that's not. No, <laughs> usually, I, I have agree. yet to see. Like that I, when I see Amy Schumer doing it, for example, no, I think she's commenting on yeah. other people's comments. Yeah. But I would agree with you that in general, it's and like, that's I think what Liz Lemon is. My, my understanding of Liz Lemon on 30 Rock is that she is uh, talking about how absurd it is that she would be fat or ugly in this world of Hollywood. But then I think, like, the reception of that character gets to be this thing like, oh, aren't we all a little bit Liz Lemon? You know, like, we're all, like, it, it becomes this, like, really, I don't know, like. Well, she the character became the ideal. The yeah. ideal being that she's incredibly functional despite her mental exactly. disabilities yeah. and that, uh, you know, she perceives herself as being insufficient even though she exceeds what is necessary right. of her. Yeah, yeah. So she's the great uh, successful capitalist figure because yeah. she's... She's the great She white believes hope. that she's insufficient while right. being excessive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I 100% believe that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, actually, it's we're going to wrap up a little bit right now, but before we do, I would like for Sweet Dwight to say thank you to everybody for being on the show. It was really fun. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Alex. Um, and I'd like to close out with Luigi's say uh, review of the film Don't Say a Word. Signora Conrad? Sofia, signora, chi ha creato quel caos in cucina? Le uova sono fuori, tutto disorganizzata. Che casino! Sofia, uh, why, why here? La catena della porta è rotta. Sì, 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 la, la porta, I, uh, I broke it. Mr. Conrad will fix it. Um, perché sei qui? Oh, sì, sì, il signor Conrad mi ha assunto per cucinare la cena stasera. What? 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 Il tacchino? Tur- no, no, no. Uh, no, 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 Takino, no, no, it's okay, no, 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 no,